The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. You made a comment a couple of weeks ago about how we were all at our most stereotypical, and I wasn't sure how to take that at the time. <laughs> <clears throat> the more I think about it, it was because I was overprepared as usual. And that is not going to be a problem today. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 181 of the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, if Frodo can get the ring to Mordor, you'd think I could find a decent panelist. But alas, <laughs> I'm stuck with Todd Wenty. Yes, you are. Stuck indeed. And if the dwarven word for red is Baraz, and the elvish word for light is Galad, then the orcish word for troll dung must be Megan Smythe. <laughs> wow. Okay, I really like that one. <laughs> Let's make that a thing. That's not. I'm just kidding. All right. And I had one all prepared for Mr. Ryan Bruckman. But, I want to hear uh, Ryan's. Well, what, what would it have been? Oh, it, Are you going to save it? So Ryan called in sick today. So no, Ryan. Uh, we'll, we'll hold our tears for now. His insult was going to be um, when all hope has faded and all lights have gone out. Just hold up the file of Galadriel that you got for fourteen ninety nine on eBay and chase away the spirit of Ryan James Bruckman. I so he's he's not here to defend himself, and so I I should feel bad for delivering that, but I don't. Um. Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't feel bad about it. All right. So today we are discussing Leaf by Niggle. This is a short story by Tolkien. And uh, we will get to that in just a moment. But first, obviously, we have to go through the housekeeping stuff. Uh, Patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can support the show. The legendarium.reddit.com is where you can uh, join the conversation uh, before and after each podcast episode and just in between with whatever you want to spout out there. As long as it's, uh, I mean, relevant-ish. <laughs> we'll let it go. It's fine. You know um, us. We we have very loose definitions of what's relevant and what's not. We, we've mentioned before, um, if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, go ahead and do so. Um, it's been slow going. We've got our Oathbringer episodes up on there, but the video equipment that we used for that was loaned. It is It was not ours. And so we are working on getting our own so that we can more consistently bring you video content. Uh, but, you know, just be aware. We haven't forgotten about that. Uh, we still want you to subscribe on YouTube. And I am working on some other stuff as well, not just our episodes. Uh, I'm cooking up a little um, little video essay to throw on YouTube. It's going to take a little while, but that sort of thing. We'll, we'll have other stuff. Uh, you can also follow us, obviously, on Facebook and Twitter. And apparently, for some reason, I joined Instagram. Ooh, congratulations. <sighs> Have you guys not heard this? No, I knew. Yeah. I've been following you. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I was I, like your second I just, follower. I just harass you. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it, it has its charms, I suppose. Kyle and I did some, uh, what are those stories? Instagram stories the other okay. day. It was kind of fun. Um, mostly because we were bored in traffic on our you know, carpool to and from work anyway so which yeah, one of you was driving wait uh, no i don't want to know yeah it's fine whatever uh, <laughs> all right so today we are doing 
a Tolkien episode. And I'm actually kind of sad that Ryan's not here. This yeah. is probably the first Tolkien episode without Ryan. Um, but get this, even more astounding than the fact that Ryan isn't here for a Tolkien episode is that this is the first one we've done since July of 2016. Is it really? Wow. Yeah. We are coming up on two years since we've done anything Tolkien. Wow. Yeah, it's time. I, yeah. So when that I realized impressive. that, I was like, I, when I, I threw this one out there for us to do, I was like, oh, I should go back and see when we did one last year. Oh, oh we didn't do one last year. Oh, I should see about the year before. July. I think uh, that that's that's a, that's pretty amazing to me, but I but I recognize it. Last year was so heavy with with Robert Wheel Jordan. Time, yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's kind of kind of a back to our roots situation today. Yeah, um, and this is something you've been asking us to do on the podcast years, ever since I've been affiliated with the podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorite uh, favorite stories. That's well, it's one of my favorite short stories. Um, it's it's utterly delightful and thought provoking and <laughs> wonderful in so many ways. And I do have a synopsis for you. Yeah. A synopsis of the of this short story. Yeah, I mean the thing's only twenty seven <laughs> pages, but I I did I boiled it down to three paragraphs. That's so impressive. I didn't I didn't do any Ken jokes, so sorry. And if Ken's listening to this, then uh, you know he can he can lament the fact that he didn't do the jokey one. But and there's really no punching in this either. So, <laughs> but the reason I'm doing this, I I wanted to do a synopsis because if. You have read this. Maybe it's been a little while and I wanted to refresh everybody's memories. And if you haven't, it's okay. I think you can still probably follow along with this discussion. It's not a very complex story. Um, there, you know, there are not a lot of events or anything, but this will give you an idea of what happens in it. So Niggle is a strange little man who loves to paint. He doesn't fancy himself a great painter, uh, but he loves to paint anyway. Above all, he loves to paint his tree, the tree. He started by painting a single leaf, but that grew to become the entire tree as well as the lawn around it and the landscape behind it. He couldn't seem to finish his painting, though, for several reasons. First of all, he had a home and a yard to maintain, and he was a fairly lazy man. He also had many visitors whom he considered nuisances. And then there was a long trip that he knew he must take someday, but for which he couldn't bring himself to prepare Last and worst was his neighbor, Parrish, who did take great care of his home and his garden. Parrish seemed to have no respect for Niggles' time, nor for his peculiarities, and was constantly asking for favors or simply bothering Niggle about the things he was putting off. <laughs> One day, quite unexpectedly and before he had managed to make many preparations at all, a driver came to take Niggle on his long-expected trip. He went to the railway station where a train took him to a sort of home or a hospital where he was put to strictly regimented but very fulfilling work, especially of the type he had neglected back at his house. One day, the train took him to his final destination. Turns out, it's his tree. In fact, the whole valley seems to be patterned on Niggle's painting, and it was up to him to care for it. He knew he would need the help of his old neighbor, Parrish, and sure enough, Parrish arrived in the valley as well. Together, Niggle and Parrish tended the tree, the valley, and the little cottage they built there. When it was finally time for Niggle to retire to the mountains in the distance, Parrish stayed behind and cared for others who eventually came to rest for a while in the valley that was now known as Niggle's Parrish. The end. So, well done. Thank you. So that's the story. Uh, like I said, not, not very complicated. It's very short. Uh, but I just want to get 
quick impressions. Megan, how did you like the story? I liked it. It was you, sweet. You're I, allowed to say you didn't, by the way. I. <laughs> it's okay. Well, it's, just, it's funny. Craig will tell you that you're wrong. Craig and Todd both read it before I had a chance to. And they're like, oh, I read it at lunch at work and I cried. And I just, I read it and I'm like, am I dead inside? Because I'm not crying at the end. <laughs> it was a really sweet story. It was cool. I just, it, sure, it didn't just really didn't, impact didn't me. Sure, it didn't affect you in the same way. Right. Todd, what did you think? Yeah, I, I, I made the mistake of reading this at McDonald's during my lunch hour. <laughs> and there were several people walking by looking at me like, Ooh, I wonder what's wrong with this man and why is he crying in the middle of a McDonald's? Was the Big Mac that he ordered that bad? <laughs> no, it's, it, it his was, wife just left him and his dog died and, uh, and uh, his truck broke down. And it's, it's, one of the, it's one of those moments where you, um, it, things, one of, the, one of the things that I love about literature, about, about well-written stories and about well-performed stories, well-acted stories, any of those kinds of things is that they can they they can hit you at different times in different ways and hit different people in different ways and and based on what i based on where i'm at and what i'm dealing with this story was very impactful for me um it was it was very touching well let's uh let's talk about it a little bit and i'm sure we'll get to why it was so impactful for oh, yeah. for you and for me oh, yeah. uh but Here's the thing about this story. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background, and, and then we'll get into the thing about this story. Um, this was published in 1944. It was commissioned by the Dublin Review. And so the editor of the Dublin Review asked Tolkien for a story. He he asked him, I want to pull up the quote. Um, where is it? Oh, gosh, I can't find the phrase. Oh, there it is. Um, he wanted something that would be an effective expression of Catholic humanity. Mm-hmm. That was the uh, the work commission. <laughs> this this made sense to somebody back in you know nineteen forties sure. Britain. So right. Megan's got a look on her face like, "What the? What and did it, that mean?" And it, and it was it was yeah. fairly fairly clear Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so so that that's what uh, was asked for. Now here's the thing the the weird thing about this story is that it was commissioned in September of 1944 and was delivered in October of 1944, which, uh, as Tom Shippey puts in uh, Author of the Century, he says, as in Tolkien terms, this might as well be returned by post. You yeah. know, it's it's uh, that's how quick this was for somebody like Tolkien. Yes. Yeah. Um, now It so, leads me to, to wonder, was he working on this story long before and this just happened to be a perfect opportunity to put the finishing touches on it and send it right, on its way? Right, right. So there are two different uh, opinions that I know of. Humphrey Carpenter, who is Tolkien's official biographer, uh, says that he got the commission, wrote the story, and sent it. Easy as that. Um Tom Shippey, who is a Tolkien scholar, he actually kind of uh, followed in his footsteps in a certain way in Oxford. He taught the same mm-hmm. syllabus at Oxford and everything. So he, he knows his stuff with Tolkien. Um, he posits that Tolkien actually wrote this five years earlier in 1939 um, and then hung on to the story. And then when he was asked for something, yeah, maybe he spruced it up just a little bit, but he already had this thing. So I don't I don't know which is true, Um Shippy really knows what he's talking about, but Humphrey Carpenter is no slouch as a biographer either, and so I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it just seems to me that in 1944, 
Um, I, I, I don't know what Tolkien's uh, uh, typing speed would have been during those days. <laughs> but if he was doing this longhand, this would be a, this would have been something of a feat um, to have to have moved it that quickly and had it ready for publication. Uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I would buy that maybe for Tolkien, but it's not about typing speed or even writing speed. Uh, for him, it's just about exactly what's talked about in this story. Constant distractions that. and kind of lazy and all that stuff. Like those are the things that got in his way. Mm -hmm. um, but then you think about authors like Victor Hugo, um, <laughs> you know, 19th century France. This dude had quill pens mm -hmm. and was writing 20,000 words a week. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. So um, so I, I don't know if the speed thing would have really gotten in his way. I don't so know. He had a, you know, it was a month, month or two. I, th I think it's interesting, though, putting it in the context of when it was published, that it is kind of a timeless little piece. Like, I didn't read it thinking, oh, yeah, no, this sounds very much like beginning of the century, right. 20th century. It it could easily, it totally applies right now, today. I can see why yeah, the little, you enjoy it. Who knows? If, would continue reading it. In 500 years, maybe we don't have trains anymore. But for now, like, everybody knows what a train is. It's and still right. relatable. Yeah, yeah. so... There are little things like that that stay relatable. Um, anyway, so it was commissioned. He sent it off, and it and nobody really commented on it. You know, it it wasn't a big deal. But uh, as he became more popular for his other works, then people found this story, and and it became uh, pretty well loved, at least among his fans. I don't know of anybody else who goes out of their way to read it. This one, we <laughs> we read a PDF that was assigned to incoming freshmen at Cumberland University. Um, and so I guess they they glommed onto it a little bit. And Craig said that his children will never go to Cumberland University as a result of... <laughs> I'm not sure if it's just the study questions or if it's the study questions and the typos, Look, but between the two. No, I don't care about the typos. <laughs> when, those are scan, scan errors. But um, no, I... I I spoke in superlative jest. Um, I don't know anything else about Cumberland University. You're just so worried that somebody from Cumberland a... University is going to be listening in. Well, look, I'm just trying to be honest. Like, I don't know anything about the school, but uh, those study questions on that PDF were uh, a little sad. And they were they were perfectly prepared for people like my son, who is currently struggling to graduate from high school. So <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. Maybe anyway, that's I I have no idea what my point even was uh, <laughs> uh, now. But as we get into the discussion, I do want to say that a lot of what I'll bring up, um, I'm I'm really indebted to the two people I've brought up already: Humphrey Carpenter, Tolkien's biographer, and Tom Shippey. If you want, uh, if you enjoy the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and the Silmarillion, and you want to understand where these things came from, and you don't want to read the entire twelve-volume history of Middle Earth, <laughs> can't blame you there. Uh, but if you don't, and you want something real quick, there are two books. Um, well, three. You read his biography, uh, and then Tom Shippey has two books. One is called The Road to Middle Earth, and that's that's a little bit thicker, more academic text. Um, still, I think, pretty approachable, but, uh, but it is uh, less approachable. But J.R.R. Tolkien, author of the century by Tom Shippey, is probably the best first foray into um, third party uh, or secondary, I guess I should say, secondary books on Tolkien okay. and his work. So 
so I am very much indebted to that. I just want to get that citation out of the way so that I don't have to do it over and over and over again throughout the episode. According um, to Shippy. According yeah. to Shippy. So anyway, uh, this book is, or this book, this story is pretty clearly an allegory for something. Yes. I wondered if you were going to say, if if you were going to agree that this is a, is a more straightforward allegory. We talked at one point about C.S. Lewis's uh, works being not quite so allegorical because the one-to-one relationships are pretty, pretty oblique. It's it's a little bit tough to see where the one-to-one falls on on some of the line, the witch and the wardrobe stuff. But this was pretty clear for certain aspects of the uh, of the of the layout of a Catholic view toward living life. Sure, sure. So um, lay out some of the things that you saw for us, Todd. One of the big ones that I saw was um, that we have this earth life where things are done, and then we have purgatory. We have the waiting place. Uh, and the waiting place is an, is an indeterminate waiting place, um, but you are liberated from that waiting place at a time when it is determined that you are ready to move on. Um, and that was represented very, uh, for, for me, when I was reading through and and uh, we get to the point where the the inspector of houses arrives and the driver arrives and they and they take Niggle on his journey and he goes to the rail station and the porter looks at him and says, "This is all you brought? Oh, you're going to the workhouse." I'm like, "Ah, oh, crap!" <laughs> I, I, and and poor Niggle just says, "What? Where? What?" And they put him to work and it's a you know you're going to the you're going to the charity section of this of this hospital and and you'll be there until you've till you've really gotten better um and immediately as i'm reading that i'm like oh boy this is what tolkien sees purgatory as being i wonder i wonder if this was him saying i hope it's not like this or this is exactly what i expect it will be well think of it this way in in his view uh, according to this story, at least, purgatory is the place where we learn what we needed to learn. What we should have what learned. What we should have learned, or where we fill our own gaps. Yeah. Right? And so Niggle has a real hard time maintaining a garden. And what does he do, in large part, at, at his work location? He does a lot of that. Yeah. He does a lot of gardening. Or uh, the way that, um, I can't remember the exact verbiage, I don't have it pulled up here, but... Um, in the in the first few pages of the story, when he's at his house, he's constantly being interrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has other duties he's supposed to attend to, and as these things come up, he has a hard time doing those and getting back to his painting and switching yes. back and forth. And well, and we have a very I I just I hate to bring in corporate jargon. I hate it so much, but I'm gonna say time management. <laughs> Time management was not Niggle's strong suit, and that's what he was taught in his purgatorial time. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. He learned um, one of the, one of the things that was interesting was that, um, for me at least, is that the regimentation was was controlled for him uh, in his in his experience um, after after his after his earthly experience when he gets to the to the hospital, I guess they wanted to call it. Um, oh, right. And, and it was, it was always controlled for him by someone else. And he found that he got accustomed to that and started to get joy from that. 
And then even that was taken away to the point where he just worked all the time. It was, it was really quite an interesting, I, I've, I've, I've heard precious few other representations of, of people talking about what they think a purgatorial experience might be like. Um, and so this one was, this one was kind of fresh. It was very personal. It felt very much like it was, um, somebody saying, I'm, I, this is what, it, this is what I think of when I think of this kind of experience. Right. So when we, we're starting to get into why, <clears throat> excuse me, why I am so invested in this story and so affected by this story and perhaps why you are as well, Todd, uh, and that's the character of Niggle. Mm-hmm. And that's who we focus on from the beginning of the story. And he is, he exhibits a lot of the traits that I find so bothersome about myself. <laughs> it is 100% fair to say that I am a bit scattered distracted and lazy these these are all words that would apply to me easily that doesn't mean i don't do anything you know i i I think the word lazy gets a bit of a bad rap these days but it just simply means that you know sometimes you are idle and when Mm -hmm. you're not oftentimes you would prefer to be yes (laughs) right and that's uh that definitely describes me uh so megan did you did you is that perhaps why you didn't grab onto this story, gravitate toward this story as easily as because you didn't see the same sorts of things? Oh, I absolutely can be lazy. I, well, I know, um, we can all be lazy, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, where, I do. Where it's easy for me to look at Niggle and say, oh my gosh, he's describing me. And maybe that's not <laughs> the case for you. No, I can see that. I think for me, somehow, I, I ended up reading it like from a from a point of view of frustration where I I thought, oh my gosh, if I was Niggle, I'd be so frustrated and oh, this is all happening. And it just seemed to come at me really fast. Um, and I didn't feel like I had any time to react. And so for Niggle, he's living through it and he has all this time to process it and gets to the point where he's used to doing all this work in the hospital and then, you know, things change and I, like the things change and I, I like, it was like two o'clock in the morning at that point. I had to put it down and go to sleep for a little while. But I put it down. And I was like, ah, oh, this guy cannot catch a break. Why is this so hard? Uh, um, I think that was, that might've been why I struggled the most. But yeah, I, you know, even starting from the beginning and people kept interrupting him. Then you have Parrish who's just so ungrateful and so terrible. And I, I enjoyed the second, ha- I mean, obviously I'm going to enjoy the part where he's in paradise a whole lot more than the parts where he's not. But um, I really appreciated that. You know, they talked about how, you know, it didn't even occur to him that his uh, neighbor was ungrateful. Like, he was willing to help out anyway. Like, he he found it annoying, but he found it no more annoying than, or the interruptions any more frustrating than anybody else. And he always did it. Like, he was willing to do it. I just, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think I, I could identify. But for me, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so frustrating when people do that. And I just want to do my things that I want to do. And people keep coming in and going, oh, hey, Megan, can you? Of course, of course I can. I love you and I will do that. But sometimes it's hard. I thought very much, um, I mean, there were there were a lot of places where this hit me very personally. But as I thought about it, I, I, re- I, I saw my father a lot in Niggle. Um, when he talks about the fact that he would swear mostly to himself. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, there, there are so many times that I can think of that somebody would come over to the house and... They would say, "Hey, can you and can you and Todd come over and help us on this?" And and I'd I'd say, "All right, you know, I'd go put on my put on my work my work pants and get ready to go." And I'd hear my dad, "Oh crap!" <laughs> and 
and my mom would, would occasionally say things like, well, Brian, you can say no. And he's like, no, I can't. I, I, I can't. I have to go. And I know that there are a lot of things that my, my dad had that he worked on and that he worked on constantly and that he, and that he took great pride in, um, that were always being interrupted by these things. And, and I, and as I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, this is my dad. This is, and then I started thinking, oh my goodness, this is me. The one who swears (laughs) quietly to himself, mostly to himself when people come over and ask. Yeah. And and if anybody that knows me is listening to this now, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. They're never going to ask me to do anything again. Um, but it's the, the, the phrase that was used later on was his heart was, Mm-hmm. His heart was in the right place. It just didn't work very well. <laughs> and and I was I was impressed by that 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 um for this character for Niggle the idea of yeah you do it but learning how to do it cheerfully, learning how to do it joyfully was his challenge. It wasn't that he wouldn't do it. It's that there was there was the idea that you do it but you do it with joy. No, I can't do the two of them with joy. It took a long time uh, for him to learn that. Yeah. He, was, he was so focused on the painting, like everything else was, it was, it was an interruption and that's, that's all really that he wanted to do. And so we're gonna he did have to, to learn. We're going to get to some interesting, interesting stuff about, um, about Niggle's character and his personality yeah. um, as we move on through the allegorical <laughs> aspects of this story. Okay. So Niggle is, in the allegorical reading, now, uh, I never got a chance to ask Tolkien about it, but uh, I- I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Niggle is Tolkien. Sure. Okay? I'd buy that. So yeah. Niggle is Tolkien. He is. Um, he has a long trip that everybody has to take, and that is death. Yes. Okay, so because of the long, the long trip, it's tempting to wonder if Niggle is supposed to be all of us, but no, I, I think he pretty clearly is Tolkien. And the reason for that is because of the tree He's a painter. Now, Tolkien was a writer, but um, but uh, in this story that's related to painting, and he's painting a tree, this giant tree. And the way that, that grows he, from a single leaf. That, that grows from a single leaf. And when Tolkien was uh, but a lad, and he was in the trenches in World War One, he began a story called The Lay of Erendil. Uh, and it was his first poem... And it was the first thing that sprouted from his imagination in the Middle Earth genre. Uh, and that was, as was far this, as I'm concerned, his single leaf, right? Was this before or after he wrote the language for the for the elves? Oh, the language. Uh, he was writing languages, but different ones long before. I believe the, I believe Elvish came after he started the stories. Okay, okay. Just, just checking. <laughs> um, I knew you would know. I'm I'm reasonably certain, but somebody can correct me. That's fine. Um, anyway, so the point being, he starts with this single leaf, and the picture begins to grow, and it grows and grows and grows, and he can't seem to stop adding on to it. Mm-hmm. And it even it even describes him taking stories and tacking them on to it. Yes. And so you have things like The Hobbit that he began writing or he he told this story to his kids Mm -hmm. and then he wrote it down and he created this story out of it and then as he's writing it he goes oh you know what i bet if if he stumbles into this troll horde and picks up this sword ooh, that can be a sword from the hidden city of gondolin from Mm -hmm. thousands of years ago and you know that sort of thing and so he begins (laughs) to he tacks it on to that picture of the tree yeah 
And uh, anyway, and, and his mind is all consumed with this thing that he's creating. And so that, that's pretty clear evidence that what we're looking at here is Niggle as Tolkien. The tree is his extracurricular work, which is the Lord of the Rings, etc. Uh, but anyway, then we get into some tricky stuff. And the house, what would the house represent? And the garden, what would they represent? In this case, uh, we have to think of where Tolkien was at the time. This is either 1939 or 1944. Personally, I lean toward 1944 as the time this was written, but I don't have awesome sure. firsthand evidence for it. Uh, but anyway, but what, what this represents, the house and the garden, these are his professional um, station. Yeah. This is, this is, it, and, and, you know, if you, if you, if, if we do use Nicholas as, as something of an everyman, every man can relate to the idea that the house and garden, the, the things that you must maintain as part of your station and your obligation in life, you've got neighbors, you've got, you've got a community, you are supposed to keep up certain appearances um, and maintain your your dwelling and your domicile and your work and do all of these kinds of things because society requires it. Um, there's a there's a beautiful phrase. I wonder if I can find it um, really quickly in my in my piece. You are sounding so sultry today, Todd. I apologize. <laughs> I I finished a I finished a, a show recently. In fact, earlier today. Um, and, and so my voice is very, very tired. And so I'm speaking very low. I, I, for those of you who like it, you know, thank you for those of you who don't, don't worry. It's not going to last forever. Um, it, it was when he says what he would like, what he would have liked at that moment would have been to have seen himself, seen himself walk in and slap him on the back and say with obvious sincerity, absolutely magnificent that I see exactly what you are getting at. Do get on with it and don't bother about anything else. Mm-hmm. We will arrange for a public pension so that you need not. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this. It's the dream. <laughs> this idea that someone else just take care of all of the crap so that I can focus on we'll this one thing. have a maid thing. come in. Uh, so Somebody will bring your groceries and cook it. Please visit patreon.com slash legendary <laughs> to support the show. Uh, so... So Tolkien was the uh, the Rawlinson and Bosworth chair of Anglo-Saxon at Oxford. He held this chair from 1925 to 1945. Wow. Now, this here's the thing. We call him, I call him, I call him Professor Tolkien, uh, and I'm sure many other people do. But here's the thing about it. We live in the grand old U.S. of A., where at any community college you can go and find dozens hundreds maybe thousands of professors if you are teaching faculty or research faculty (laughs) you are a professor Mm -hmm. this was not the case 75 years ago or however long gosh this is almost 100 years ago that he got his chair when that occurred when you got your chair then you were a professor with a capital P. And for every professor at a university, especially in Britain at the time, it might still be this way, I'm not entirely sure, but um, for every professor, there were dozens probably of faculty who wanted that seat. Mm -hmm. Yes. And who covetously sought it. And so in the story, we're talking about this home or the house that Niggle lived in, and people would come by and, and kind of idly wonder, when's he going to die? Yeah. Or at least move. Come on. You know, other, I want this house. Other people, and they would wonder, 
uh, if oh, when somebody else moves in, I wonder if the yard will be a little bit better maintained. Yeah. So he was a a bit of a a superstar early on, and he published a couple of really big things. Uh, but then he didn't. He concentrated so much on his extracurricular work uh, and other things that he didn't do a ton of publishing after those first big flashes. Huh. Um, and so he was constantly worried about, you know, looking over his shoulder saying, oh, are they going to give this chair to somebody else because I'm not uh, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, quote unquote. Yeah, it's 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 interesting having a having a foot in the in the academic realm uh, myself and having had for the last 15 years or so, there's there's some real interesting things that happen in academic circles when when there is a perception that you're not having quite the impact that you're supposed to have. Um, it's it's I, I when I was reading that part and, and thinking about that that aspect uh, it makes me it makes me smile a little bit uh and and not necessarily in a very kind manner <laughs> because it really is it's a it's but we all feel that we all feel i wonder if i'm doing enough well maybe we all don't but but i know that there are a lot of us who do and and many of us look at the things that we do in our lives and we say am i doing enough and obviously niggle felt like he was not doing enough well and he was flat out told before he was sent away that he didn't do a good enough job. <laughs> yeah. So by by an inspector of all people. <laughs> by the way, when he wrote this, they did not have inspectors. There wasn't anything like an inspector, you know, checking all these professors and are you publishing enough? They do now. Yes, oh. they do. Yeah, yes, they do. They do now. I blame so, Tolkien. They're they're they <laughs> they hold titles like provosts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So um all right, now we've kind of established uh, an allegorical anchor for so many things in this story. Um, and there are probably some other things. Oh, well, I mean, we could talk about little things like when he, he has to prepare for sure. his trip. I mean, these are these are the preparations for death that we all are supposed to be doing, our yeah. spiritual maintenance and our familial maintenance and that sort of thing. Uh, but there's a big glaring problem in this story, and it is the character of Parrish. Who is Parrish and what does he represent? Did you guys have any ideas on this or shall I just tell you? Uh, I'm interested to hear what you what you have found. No, I, I want to hear what you have to say, Todd. You uh, go first. I I see, I guess when I looked at it, although I could see uh, this as, as something of an autobiographical tale, um, I also saw it very much as an everyman tale. And so when I, when I was looking at Parrish, um, I saw Parrish as the rest of humanity around us. They are the and and I and as I looked at this, I I was thinking about um, Nickel and Parish and the nature of neighbors that we don't always get along with them, that we <laughs> that we that rarely do we feel like we are and 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 it made me think of some of the neighbors I had. I remember at one point in time I was building a fence in my backyard. For anybody who knows anything about me, you'll know that that the the domestication of me is is just really not a happy topic. I don't like I don't like yard work. Um, I don't like, I don't like painting my house. All of those kinds of, of very, very homey kinds of things are not in my repertoire. I, I do not enjoy them. So we know what Todd will be doing in purgatory. (laughs) I'll be building fences is what I'm going to be doing. Um, we've, we, we, as we were building this fence, my neighbor that I built the fence with, he said, well, you know what they say, good neighbors or good fences make good neighbors. And I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? I do. <laughs> and 
as I've, as I hate to say it, but as I've gotten older, I, I start to understand there's, at least for me, there's some ability to say, well, that's on that side of the fence. So I don't have to worry about it. It's on my side of the fence. So I do worry about it. It's a demarcation. It's stay out of your own, stay yeah, out of yeah. my business, leave yeah. me alone. And this nature of, and that's why when I was looking at it, I saw it very much as the everyman. There's always people that can point at you and say, you're not doing enough, but you know what, when it comes around to it, I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you, except in emergency situations, when we help each other out, when we're expected to help each other out. Okay. I, I like that. I'm, uh, there is another interpretation. I'm sure that, uh, that I'll give you, but I will say I've read this story, you know, I don't know, half dozen times over the years and I never could come up with a satisfactory answer for myself uh, to the question of who is Parrish. I struggled with it, and I wondered if this was other faculty at Oxford or something like that. But no, that really fits more with the townspeople that come calling and complain about his yard and that sort of thing. Uh, so once again, I, I will say it. Um, thanks to Shippy, Tom Shippy. <laughs> this, is, this is his interpretation, and I really like it a lot that uh, this in this story we have a lot of bifurcation mm-hmm. um, it, and in the characters of Niggle and Parrish we have a bifurcation of Tolkien himself Oh, where think about the differences between the two people Niggle he lives alone he has no mm-hmm. wife or children or other responsibilities all he, he is all consumed by this painting, his one and only passion. He used to grow potatoes, but, you know, now it's his entire life is given over as much as possible to this painting. Whereas you have Parrish, who does have a wife, and he does maintain his home and his yard. And, you know, he does seem to be kind of on top of things. He knows how to keep, uh, keep a home the way that Todd hates doing. <laughs> you know, Parrish does understand these things. And so... You think about the man Tolkien and how he, yeah, he would rather on any given day be working on his quote-unquote painting. Mm -hmm. He would rather be writing his story. However, he was still a distinguished scholar in his field and it wasn't by accident that he maintained a chair at Oxford for 20 years and then went on to another one and, you know... It wasn't an accident. He was very capable. He was a responsible person. He did have, he he did at some level overcome his uh, niggle-like tendencies of laziness and distraction, um, even if that was always present with him and he knew that that was his, uh, maybe, maybe his dominant internal mode, mm-hmm. he was capable of being a parish when needful. Right, and so this is the this, interesting. I really like this interpretation, um, and uh, he even so Shippy even goes on to mention that there are other bifurcations, like when he's at the hospital and he hears two voices mm-hmm. arguing or arguing discussing <clears throat> the case of Niggle, and he says uh, it could be that these are again Tolkien's two halves talking about him. I think it's much more likely that this is the father and the son yes. representing uh, justice and mercy right. and uh, just discussing his case and whether he deserves to move on or whatever. Well, and let's let's recognize that we, we equate it with the father and the son in a Catholic situation. It might be Mary and God. It could be. I, yeah, the, I, I, my, my catechism is 
way rusty because I'm not Catholic, but as I understand it, there are four daughters of God, and one of them is uh, justice and one is mercy, and I can't remember the other two, and blah, blah, blah. So there, they, there's, a, there's a lot of ways that this yeah. becomes, the, and, and that's one of the things that in, a, in this particular story, while it is while it is easy to apply certain kinds of allegorical pieces, to have said it was a perfect allegory of the, of, of the Catholic life, probably not. Uh, well, not this, as one for one as we would right and this much is, more so than c.s lewis this is his problem i think uh in large part this is tolkien's problem with allegory is mm-hmm. that it falls apart so easily yeah and so you know it's easy to cherry pick these little things but then you ask yourself like oh well what were the potatoes that he used to grow yeah that yep. now the shed is on top of those what are the potatoes and the answer is eh, probably nothing you know, yeah. <laughs> but but that's and that's the thing is that I I agree. When I was reading it, I came up with the same conclusion that you did. Um, we come from a different background, though. Right? Yeah. It's uh, 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 yeah. I don't want to go down that road. Anyway, so this is once we get to the hospital, this is where we're starting to get into some of the the spiritual meat, the level three stuff uh, of. Leaf by Niggle, and I'm really enjoying the story at this point, especially in that conversation between the two of them. And and yeah. Megan, you brought up some of this stuff where they they say he, the second voice says, "Yeah, but he was always helping his neighbor, and with no expectation of not even reward, but he wasn't even expecting gratitude. Yeah, he just knew it was the right thing to do. I mean, this is you know he's a, he's a good person, and I think this is it's a nice little piece of maybe wish fulfillment. I don't know quite what the right word would be, but this is what we'd all like to think of ourselves is that we are a kind hearted person, no matter what we, uh, you know, how much we grumble or swear under our breath or uh, we're kind of lazy or whatever, but we, you know, we want want to think that that second voice is going to be up there going, yeah, but you know, Megan had the right intentions. She had the right frame of mind. She had a good heart no matter what her foibles might have been, right? So many foibles. So I'm, I'm really interested in that part of the story. Yeah. Now, he moves on from that point. He gets on the train and goes to a third location. Well, what I think is... Sorry, really so, quickly. What go I, on. Oh, sorry. Well, what I think is interesting... Well, there are many interesting things, as you just said, about that second section Oh, okay, in the yeah, hospital. I kind of skipped over it. But I, I love that he asked if Parrish could join him. Like, he... He'd already acknowledged, well, they, the voices are having the conversation about, well, it's so interesting, his relationship with Parrish, because he didn't expect any reward. And he even kind of thought, you know, at that very last trip, yeah, he says this, this is going to be really inconvenient and probably don't actually need to be doing this. And it ended up being his whole downfall. And uh, yet Niggle asks, can Parrish come with me? Oh, and by the way, will you heal his leg? Because that was always really bothering him. <laughs> yeah. In the, uh, here's, the, here's the quote. Could you tell me about Parrish, said Niggle. I should like to see him again. I hope mm-hmm. he is not very ill. Could you cure his leg? It used to give him a wretched time. And please don't worry about him and me. He was, very, he was a very good neighbor. And he let me have excellent potatoes. Very cheap, which saved me a lot of time. I mean, this is, this is really kind of interesting that that during this period of time he yeah. undergoes such a profound change Something in his about. in his appreciation and i wonder if this is uh again if this is uh if if we're looking at it from an autobiographical standpoint of that bifurcation perhaps there's a point at which tolkien really appreciates the fact that 
yes, he, he's frustrated by the fact that he has to do all these things, but he's also very grateful for the fact that he can do them mm-hmm. and that they provide such a good living right. for him and his fr- and his family. And I, I, I appreciate that too. I have learned that, um, uh, quite painfully this last year. It's been a, it's been an interesting year and a year in which there have been a lot of opportunities for me to say, you know what? I have work to do and I'm glad I have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. It, it is not the work that I wish I were doing, but I'm glad that I have this work to do and that it has allowed me to have the, the home and the, and the family and the, the comforts that I have been able to enjoy. Yeah. Now, I, I think that's uh, a great point. I We are currently recording in an outbuilding that has been not just not just inspired by, but in large part paid for by my nigglish tendencies. <laughs> and the fact that... Yes, you yes. Know, <laughs> that we, maybe we should call this Leaf Studios <laughs> instead of Legendary Studios. Um, I like that too. Or we could get, uh, get Rolling-esque and call it like the niggler. <laughs> or something. So anyway, uh, I'm not going to do that. So yeah, I, I'm I'm recording in this thing that is my garage where Niggle is painting this great green tree. Um, but the only reason I'm able to do that is because of my parish mm-hmm. tendencies mm-hmm. to be a responsible human being mm-hmm. and do what I'm supposed to do and earn a living and all of that stuff. Um and so, yeah, I am grateful for that part yeah. of me. Yeah, and goodness, I hope I don't lose that. But it's tempting, I think. A lot of us, we, we have that kind of, um, that Cro-Magnon, tribalist, um, romantic notion that we're just going to give ourselves over to our <laughs> niggle side and do what we want to do. I just, like you said, Megan, earlier, I just want to do what I want to do. Yep. And that's tempting. We want to do that. But if we... If we do, then we, well, if we give ourselves over to that, then we lose it almost certainly, almost certainly. I have a, I have a, uh, an acquaintance who, um, I, I, I won't give all the details, but, but I, but I watched this, this individual throw away family, job, connections, all of those kinds of things to have this magnificent whirlwind experience. He, he climbed Kilimanjaro and and he had the opportunity to to go to Nepal and he went to the Himalayas and he's he's done all of these magnificent romantic things um and yet has not uh i'm i'm not sure has has had the same fulfillment from those that he thought he was going to get um it's it's been fascinating for me to watch that that something somehow there is something uh, i i don't know if i don't know if the right word is holy but certainly um, ennobling about a combination of recognizing our nigglish tendencies, but working with our parish tendencies to help them become tempered uh, as, as carbon and as, as iron and, and uh, as carbon. iron is car- and carbon are, are blended together to become steel. Um, these two things work together to make something much better than they would be otherwise. Right. Yeah. If you are, so we, we have our parish, selves but if we give ourselves over wholly to that then it's it's a miserable life and we you know may feel defeated at the end of it because when and and i think part of that is because is manifested by parish when he shows up at at um at niggles 
Park at Nichols Place in the third movement, um, he looks around and he's like, y- y- you did all this? Parrish didn't do it. Parrish didn't have anything of those of of those tendencies to to imagine this beautiful tree and the beautiful garden and all of these other things. Those were all niggles. But Niggle does acknowledge that a lot of it was that inspired without, by Parrish. Or without like, Parrish, yeah. he cannot make them better. He cannot make them complete, mm-hmm. I think, is mm-hmm. where he was going. And so, yes, he needs Parrish to help. But Parrish is like, yeah, but I... I couldn't have done any of this. And he says, yeah, but no, you can help me now. <laughs> and I, 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 I think there's something very, I, there's something very ennobling. I had a friend tell me uh, years ago, and maybe this is just me doing the wish fulfillment. We were, uh, it was a period of time where I was starting to do some of my performing and I was having the questions, you know, should I do more performing again? Should I get back into it? Should I just flush my job and go off and do what I know I'm going to stay? I'm going to, I acknowledge these two and I find a way to make them work together. And this, um, uh, older lady who was, uh, who was a very dear friend of mine, Dixie, who probably is not listening to this podcast. Um, hi Dixie. (laughs) Uh, Dixie. she looked at me and she said, she said, there is something very noble about not abandoning your responsibilities. Um, and so I think that that's, yeah. I think that's something that Tolkien recognized. I think it's something that you recognize that we benefit from, and it's something that I aspire to. And now to take this in a slightly different direction, I I also like the idea, I, we can look at Parrish as a concept, but we can also look at him as a companion. Um, I, it's, it's interesting that in the first section, you know, Parrish is this person who interrupts and mm-hmm. needs things all the time and doesn't really do much. Um, and then in the second section, Niggle just gets really lonely and he has to work really hard and he works in places where there are no windows to the outside and he can't see anything. Mm-hmm. And um, when he is told he's going to go on another journey, he says, oh, can I bring my friend? Um because things are so much more fun and they're so much more fulfilling when you have another person with you. And he's had all this time to romanticize and think about, oh, you know, Parrish was my closest neighbor and he was really the only person that if I needed help, like he came to me when he needed help. And if I needed help, I would go to him and um, and he and Parrish get to have this time together. I, my French teacher in junior high used to say that if you go if you get lost and you're by yourself, it's scary. But if you go with someone, it's an adventure. Yeah. And my French teacher in junior high used to say, go to the principal's office. And, a lot. And take Ryan with you? No, he and I were not in the same class. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's funny. <laughs> um, I, think I, I think I probably knew your French junior high teacher. Uh, Mr. Osborne. I didn't know your junior high French teacher. He was a wiener. <laughs> I didn't know your French junior high yeah, teacher. He was not. He was not a kind man. Osborne was Osborne was different by the time you got him, but he was a little I knew Osborne. Okay. Well anyway. Let's, but I so, yeah, I also a little bit wanted Parrish to be a real person because he um when Niggle moves on from Niggle's Parish, Parrish says, Hey, we're preparing this for my wife, so we're going to bring more people mm-hmm. in and he gets to be the caretaker oh, and continue. Boy, boy did so that. So let's anyway. talk let's talk about the third act. Okay. So the third act, we're going to lose Todd here. Todd is going to ball like a little girl. Okay. Todd's already gone. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is where Todd started crying at the Big Mac. Oh, man. Yeah. So 
here's what I want to talk about. We can get into personal stuff in just a moment, but I do want to relate what this must have meant to Tolkien himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we we move into Niggle's Parish as it ends up being called. By the way, it's it's easy to know why Niggle is named Niggle because uh, it, it I mean it is a verb meaning to concentrate on the details I, I in, gonna, a, in an annoying way. I was going to ask you if you knew that that when I yeah. when I first read that word I was like oh I remember when I lived in England I heard that all the time and it's and so I. I wondered why does uh, so why did he name parish parish? Well, the answer is so that he can have the joke at the very end. That's the whole reason. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. But anyway, so we move into Niggles Parish, and it's his painting. It's his thing come to life. Yes. And the thing I want to talk about at this point is subcreation. And if you have followed along with the Legendarium <laughs> for at least two years, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> If you have if you have followed along, you've heard this term brought up because I've I've talked about it a little bit mm-hmm. in previous Tolkien episodes. Uh, but the idea of, idea of subcreation this is something that is extremely commonplace now because of Tolkien. We don't use the word very often because it was very specific to him and his essays and and uh, his thinking. But the idea is we call it now world building. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his case, it was subcreation, but in his case, it was something more than world building. We think of world building with, uh, you know, uh, something like Patrick Rothfuss creating this world for his characters to inhabit, so he can tell a story, and then he's done, and he moves on, and he plays Dark Souls uh, for another eight hours at a time, whatever, um, <laughs> or eight months, <laughs> or eight years. <laughs> so that's that's the the modern incarnation but for tolkien sub subcreation was something different he thought of it um as something a little bit more dare i say holy uh if creation is the purview of god then subcreation is what men do i'm talking capital m men i know humans sorry megan it's fine um it's what we do to (laughs) emulate god and that's what he was trying to do with uh this with the lowercase s silmarillion this uh compendium of tales this legendarium if you will um he thought of that not so much as a simple exercise in storytelling or language creation this was in a very real way for tolkien a sacrament this is what he was trying to do to express his closeness with god and his desire to emulate god and a lot of people were really uppity about this uh when he would talk about it because it sounds kind of blasphemous to a very traditional minded religious person to say oh you're oh you're gonna be like god are you let's see how that goes you know, but for him it was a very real thing, and and he was trying very hard to uh, create something that he thought God would be proud of, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he always had that very forefront uh, in his mind as he was creating all of this. And so, in this story, with all of that in mind, and and again, keep in mind, the Lord of the Rings isn't even published at this point, but the tree is growing, and it's growing quickly, mm-hmm. and it's becoming very detailed. Uh, but he gets into Niggles Parish and he sees everything created, not just the way that he had done it, but the way that he had meant to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and with all of this stuff in mind, all of this background in mind of the way Tolkien thought about his story, knowing all of this, every time I get to that valley, I just mm-hmm. lose it. 
I lose it, you guys. So Craig has a heart. It just takes a very long time and the right tool <laughs> to break through that outer shell <laughs> to finally get at the soft, gooey center of Craig's soul. There, I can't explain everything exactly why. Um, I, I just... Tolkien is very much a kindred spirit mm -hmm. with me. And I, I'm not saying I have anywhere near the brilliance or the discipline uh, that he does. That's not what I'm saying. I, just something about his personality um, and the way that he lived his life. It, it, it's very much somebody that I would like to emulate. And so that's why I've latched onto him for so many years and learned so much about him. And because I'm so close and so uh, because I understand or feel like I understand him so well, that's why this story affects me so yeah. much, especially in that third act, when he sees that not only has his story gained a stamp of approval, a mm -hmm. divine stamp of approval, uh, but it is, in a real sense, a waypoint for those who are looking to move beyond into the mountains, right, into heaven. And people have an opportunity to rest and... Uh, I, I don't know exactly, to, to learn maybe something in his valley, in his yeah. story. Uh, and that's what he wanted to do with his mythology. And I think he would be... I, there are things about the way the Lord of the Rings as a property has gone in the last uh, 20 years hmm. that would utterly horrify the man. I However, can think of a few. However, um, the in a very real sense, and I and I'm certainly evidence of this. In a very real sense, this is preparatory stuff for a lot of people. He wanted this to be a waypoint for people on their way to, in his mind at least, Catholicism. Right? This this prepares you for the the a true religion of God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I think in general. I, it works on a broader, in a broader sense as well, um, as a spiritual lodestone for those who are maybe aren't ready for this or that truth or cosmic verity or whatever. I don't know. As long as they can get through Tom Bombadil. As long as you can get oh. through Tom Bombadil. They can do it. Gets <laughs> so good, you guys. Keep powering through. So anyway, I. This, this is how he thought of a story. This is how I think of a story. Um, but Todd, I want to hear why the third act is so great for you. And we have like two minutes left. Two minutes. Great. Uh, Good luck. Put me on it. <laughs> Sucker. Give me, give, I'm used to doing things in about two to three minutes, so I really can. That, um, are you freaking kidding me right now? <laughs> say it, Megan. Say That's it. what she said. Thank you. Um, did you mean to do that? No, I did not. Oh, we'll talk about it later. Um... When he gets to the point where he's and and I I highlighted the, I highlighted two things in this before him stood the tree his tree finished. Mm -hmm. That was a moment where I said to myself, you know, I want to see my tree finished. There are things that I things that I'm worked on things that I work continue to work on things that are that pull me away from my parish side that 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 are part of my niggle piece, and I always feel like they are incomplete and unworthy and i hope that someday as i continue to work to balance the two that that i will get a chance to see one of those and i've had some glimpses 
Um, earlier this morning, I was uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with my sit down with my wife and my oldest daughter and play a CD that I was uh, that I participated in the recording. Uh, um, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir just released a, a CD, or uh, we're about to release a CD. We've we've got it currently. I think it's out on on store shelves and available through available at fine bookstores everywhere or at least on mormontabernacle.org um uh, or dot com anyway it's a <laughs> it's a, a piece called uh the prodigal and it was um moving and the recording of the experience was was tremendously moving um and it, it was a it was a moment that it felt like maybe i have a maybe i have a leaf that i have done well with um, it's not a tree yet, but it's a nice, nice leaf. Um, and then the other thing that, that really moved me in the third, in this third act, um, was doggone it. Um, was, I'm going to make it, I'm going to okay. make it, um, was when he says, I must wait for my wife, said Paris to niggle. She'd be lonely. Uh, I rather gathered that they would that they would send, I can't even read. I rather gathered that they would send her after me sometime or other when she was ready. And when I had got things ready for her, the house is finished now as well as we could make it, but I should like to show it to her. She'll be able to make it better. I expect. And that's very much how I feel about my dear sweet wife that wherever I go. Yeah, I'll be waiting for her. I I'll wait for her. Not because I'll go there before her, but because I'll probably die before she does. So I'll be waiting for her. It's just kind of the way things go. Um, it, to say that Tolkien loved his wife uh, it would be a bit of an understatement. Um, now, his relationship with his wife wasn't always uh, wasn't always uh, sunshine and roses, but he loved his wife dearly. And she did end up going before he did, I think by about two years, mm. I want to say. He did not last long after she went. Mm. Um, I understand so yeah in fact you can go to uh, our our last Tolkien episode I, I want to say it was episode gosh it was like 91 or 81 or something like that gosh that was it's a long, long time, time ago, ago. <laughs> uh, and it was the story of Baron and Luthien and you can go and see their gravestone in Oxford or near Oxford and it's uh has his name and her name they're buried side by side and underneath it says Baron and Luthien. Oh, oh does yay. it really? Yeah. That's oh. uh, I need to make my way there. Yeah, I want to go to there. You you need to read Baron and Luthien. Okay. So I, I, I would I did as I recall. Did you? Okay. Yeah. Uh you weren't on the episode. No, I was not. So I was not invited. No, you weren't. We we didn't like you then. No. You're here now. I know. I know. Megan, do you have any final thoughts before we move on and end this episode? Um, I thought that the last couple of sections were really interesting where you had i don't know if there were two scholars or two people i don't know they were talking about mm. the merits of niggle and one of them was just well he wasn't that important and he didn't really do anything important and um and the other man again the, other it's the second voice the, canvas. the other one had found um the leaf or part of the canvas and had kept it for a really long time it was kept in a museum and brought a lot of peace and joy to people until the museum burned down which is how life goes you know which uh, but, uh, <laughs> is what a sad little thing and it's and it's um i i couldn't help thinking of achilles <laughs> sure. um 
obviously, right? No, I, it's not obvious. But the reason I was thinking of Achilles is because that's his whole character is driven by the desire for immortality. Yeah. And he knows that he can't achieve actual physical immortality, but he can. his name can be remembered forever. Mm-hmm. And this is a very human desire. Yeah. I, I honestly, I wonder if there's a big divide between men and women. I don't know, but I know it's a man thing and maybe it's a woman thing too this desire to be remembered in perpetuity I, what, what do you think Megan? Well, I, do you dare yes. speak on that no that that is where i was going to go with that is i i think it's it is human nature to want to be remembered to want to think of your life as having meant something and having put your stamp on the world and i i kind of like the idea that um niggle's memory didn't necessarily last forever because our I will be remembered after I die by the people that, who love me. And I probably won't do anything super big or famous right. or notorious or anything like that. But I'll be remembered by the people who love me and my parent, like, you know, other people who die before me. I will remember them. And I may only be remembered for, I don't know, another 50 years. But people will remember me and my life will have meant something because the things that each of us as individuals do affect the people around us and... Um, they will in turn share that with other people and it will become part of them and right. it will just, it will always be there. And this is this is the final bifurcation in the story that uh, that I wanted to mention, which is when Niggle goes on his trip, he hops on the train and dies, essentially. There's another bifurcation here. Uh, yes. And it is that the, the world forgets him. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, there is the one person who saw some something nice in mm-hmm. what he had done and mm-hmm. he saved the painting and and had the leaf framed and all of that stuff but then the thing burned down and everybody forgot about him right and it was over however the valley niggles niggles parish lived on and so i think it's a in in a very real way tolkien is expressing his uh, discomfort with the idea of being forgotten uh, but at the same time he's saying but that's okay as long as you're not forgotten by he who is most important. So again, this is a very religious point that uh, though you may be forgotten on earth, you won't be forgotten by God. And you know that is comforting. Isn't that a nice thought? I mean, I I really enjoy that. I do too. So maybe that's where we should end it. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. This was uh, a... uh, nice episode for me i really love this story and i hope that you did too if you listened to the whole thing and you haven't read it yet please just go read it it's it'll take 30 minutes tops yeah uh it's a wonderful wonderful little story todd you were gonna say something i was gonna say craig is veritably beaming um (laughs) because we've finally been able to do this he's been trying to i'm i'm glad we were able to do this because i know that you've you've suggested leaf by niggle probably every year since we've been doing the podcast and we've never been able to work it in many many times every Um, year and so i'm glad that we've been able to do this yeah um the last thing that i'll mention and this has nothing to do with the story we are done with leaf by niggle hope you enjoyed it uh but moving on uh obviously we get to all the stuff Uh, patreon go to reddit go to that we're on instagram um here's what i want to talk about and if you if you have (laughs) gone this far into the podcast you care (laughs) apparently and so this is for you we are this is episode number 181 uh we've done a lot of these and we are coming up very soon on episode number 200 uh first of all 
that's a lot. Mm-hmm. This guarantees, uh, if in in TV terms, this is uh, syndication, this is syndication money forever. <laughs> um, no, but but two hundred there there needs to be some sort of celebration, something. And I'm thinking of taking the podcast and doing something slightly different with it. I, I won't tell you all of my plans. I will say that everything you've come to know and love about the legendary will remain, but okay. I want to do more um, and, and more and different. And here's how I want to kick that off. I want to kick it off with an essay contest. <laughs> um, and Craig, here, the frustrated English teacher. Um, <laughs> Here's, well, hear here's him the out. thing. Hear yeah. him out. I, no, I, I, have, I, have, I have things don't to say. Don't say no that. until you've heard the whole idea. Ryan was saying it someplace in his in his soul, oh. so I needed to give Ryan's voice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I'm glad he's not here, because if he was here, he would have dived behind the couch by now and covered his face in shame just at the words essay contest. So I, I do, I want to do an essay contest because this is, it's a question that I want to get into as the podcast moves forward. And I'm telling everybody this now because I'm kind of unofficially kicking it off. I'm not, I, I haven't set any contest rules or anything. I just want to get people thinking about it. And then maybe around episode 190 or something, I'll, I'll do a bunch of official stuff. Um, but the question is going to be, okay, how do I put this? You know, every time you are with an author and they're taking questions, and somebody always says, how do I write better? Yeah. How do I write better? I, you know, oh, I, I want to be an author like you. How do I write better? Uh, it's a fine question. I don't mind the question. I think it's a little annoying sometimes, but fine. It's a legitimate question. But here's the question that I want to ask and that I want respondents to this contest to think about and answer eventually. And the question is, how do I read better? Ooh. I don't hear that question enough. And this is something I want us to tackle going forward. Um, something that we'll talk about later. So this... Uh, I, because of the nature of this episode, it will be less listened to than something like a Pat Rothfuss uh, or... Uh, Are you or saying a, we're, you bring us on because we're obscure? Avengers or something like that. All I'm saying is that uh, Leaf by Niggle, not exactly a widely cherished story. Agreed. You know? um, and so it, of, of the people who usually listen to this podcast, somewhat fewer will listen to this episode. And of those people... Uh, somewhat fewer substantially fewer will make it to the end of this and so quality if you, people if you have made it to the end of this um, I, I I want you to very seriously consider that yeah. question and very seriously consider writing something up I don't have a length in mind it can you can write me a five paragraph essay or a 50 page essay um, that's fine I, either way can, um, can my essay be about what do you mean by read better <laughs> That's but, up to you. I, okay. That's the so thing. I was going to say, like, that's all, like, what is better? What do you, Absolutely. by reading, do you mean studying? I have so many questions. Okay. So if you, go- <laughs> the you're English major people, just came out in me. You're giving people opportunities. I'm sorry. Shh. And ideas. No, that's perfect. Don't steal my ideas, people. I'm, I am not going to explain what I mean by that question okay. because I think, uh, I think it's just as interesting to hear what you have to say on what I mean by that question. I'm excited. So anyway. I hope you'll consider that. Details to come, but keep the question in mind. If you're listening to this five years from now, then I hope you shut it off before now because this doesn't matter to you. Uh, Anyway, thank you everybody for listening. We will uh, be back next week with The Name of the Wind Part 3, the conclusion of that. Uh, I think we're good. So 
we'll see you all on Reddit. Have a great week, everybody, and uh, read better. Read better.